Now in its third year, it's a yank on the footy with Craig Wessels talking about the greatest game on the face of the earth. Sit back and enjoy, everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 215 of A Yank on the Footy. I'm Craig Wessels coming to you from Sandusky, Ohio. Thanks for tuning in for this episode. I will be sitting down in just a moment uh, for another one of my most memorable game series episodes and talking with Christian Wallace, who is a shin boner through and through. And I think you'll know exactly what I mean here in just a few minutes. And if you are a North Melbourne fan, you probably already know his name. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, if you are interested in having your footy club, your local club, getting a shout-out during an upcoming episode, drop me a note via an email at yankonthefooty at gmail.com. Shoot me a note on Messenger, on Facebook, or over on Twitter, at yank underscore on, or on Instagram. Just look out for uh, a yank on the footy. I love being able to highlight these clubs. It helps me to learn a little bit about the geography of the game throughout Australia. And as I'd mentioned, this is one of those uh, episodes where we're going to be discussing someone's most memorable game. And if you have a memorable game, I would love to talk with you as we're grinding through, I guess would maybe be the best way to put it, the uh, the summer months. I know everybody's out enjoying the sunshine. Uh, here the hay fever is uh, wonderful in Melbourne right now. And uh, I would still love to, the opportunity to talk to you about your most memorable game. I've got a couple of them lined up, but I'm always looking for more of them. And today's club of the episode is the West Footscray Roosters. Now, my guest played for the Roosters from 1979 through 1991 and winning premierships in 1982, 84, and 85. And the Roosters are in the Western Regional Football League, and they play their games at the Kevin Shorten Reserve on Essex Street in West Footscray. And Troy Beamond, and I'm probably getting his name pronounced incorrectly, and Troy, I do apologize for that, is joining the Roosters' senior side as coach this year after previously having been coaching at Windhamvale. And I wish the Roosters the absolute best of luck this year in 2023. It sounds like they've uh, scuffled a little bit the last couple of years, but here's to hoping they get things turned around this year. So let's go ahead and jump into my chat with Christian Wallace. I think you're going to enjoy this, especially if you're a North supporter. You're going to love the stories. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to welcome my next guest to the podcast. Uh, in 2023, he is hitting a milestone. It is his 50th, and I'm going to go ahead and insert an asterisk there based upon our little discussion we had a moment ago. His 50th year as a member of the North Melbourne Football Club. He has served in a multitude of capacities with the club for almost three decades, and I am absolutely stoked to welcome Christian Wallace to the podcast. Christian, thanks for coming on this morning, sir. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Enjoy to be here. Absolutely, my pleasure. This is uh, I, I love you know engaging with people that are that are involved with the club, so I can learn a little bit about it. Because again, I'm I've come into this game so late in life that uh, I feel like I have a lot of catching up to do, and I and I'm trying to get other people here in the U.S. excited about this game because I I think it's the greatest game on the planet, hands down. Well, you're not wrong there. We uh, we <laughs> agree on that. All right, all right. So, you, this is also one of the uh, the the discussions where we're going to talk be talking about your most memorable game. But before we do that, we want to talk a little bit about yourself and uh, your role with the club. Because, uh, as I mentioned in the outset, you are a fifty year member, but you told me off air that that's not actually accurate. So, why don't you tell us uh, 
how did you how did you become a member of the club and, and how come it's not 50 years uh so i'm a 51 year member um but it's only that that's it's only just that the re i've just received my membership with 50 years on the on the reverse side of the card which i tweeted um but yeah i i was signed up by my grandmother at the old red brick uh turnstiles in arden street in 1973 so uh, going into 2023, that will be my 51st year as a member of North Melbourne Football Club. So, only a slight, uh, slight, you know, misrepresentation, but uh, it's not you now 50 years. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping I might sneak out another 50 years if that's possible. Well, if you if you eat well and exercise, I think that's a possibility nowadays, is it not? That's um, right. Always a so, possibility. So, is there? And I don't know if you have access to any of these records because I know you're involved with the club, but are there other people who have longer tenures as members of the club than oh, you? Look, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure there are. Okay. Uh, I, I don't see it with social media. Obviously, it's a, obviously a great pathway to find out who is uh, the longest serving members of your, of your football club. But oh, I'm sure there'll be 50, 60, even 70 year members uh, of yeah. our club. And uh and my grandmother, before she passed away, was was well over fifty, almost sixty years as a member. Okay. Um, but um, but I don't think the uh, when I suppose going back that far that uh, memberships might not have been recorded because you did literally turn up to the uh, the turnstiles on day one of the season and buy a cardboard um, membership ticket and that would cover you for the whole year. So there wasn't really a registration process, but. The day that my grandmother signed me up, she actually, you know, there was a lady on the gate, took my name, my details, my age. And yeah, so I was registered as a member in uh, in round one of 1973, which coincidentally was Ron Barassi's first game as our coach and uh, virtually turned the history of our club uh, in the right path that we wanted to go in. Absolutely. So I hope this cardboard was at least laminated because I've seen footage of games, some games from back in the 1970s, and, and the grounds look like veritable swamps. I mean, they yeah, were very true. swamp looking there. So that cardboard, I'm guessing it was very well worn by the time the season was over. That was quite rigid, uh, and you actually had to fold it over. Okay. Uh, and put it into the plastic slip that they gave you, and oh, you would just okay. get it and just get it clipped uh, as you enter every uh, every turnstile for the year. And and of course there were no interstate teams back then, so you, they were mm -hmm. all Melbourne venues. And uh, and yeah, you just uh, that was sort of uh, part of the part of the journey is to get your membership card clipped and have all twenty two slots uh, taken out by the end of the season. So was it was it tradition for you that? Was this kind of a special thing that with you and your grandmother to go to games, or did you mm -hmm. was, was she the person that took you to most of the games then? Yeah, so my um, my my mother's a Richmond supporter. Uh, the rest of the family are staunch staunch North Melbourne fans. Um, my father always worked. He was always a, a very very uh, you know um, had a very high work ethic, and he mm -hmm. he would occasionally come to games, and he he would be there more often than not, but. Uh, but mostly my grandmother and my uncle David, they were the ones who took me to the football week in, week out. And then the occasional uh, day where dad wasn't working, he would come. And then, of course, the days where we played Richmond, then we'd have the whole family together. And, okay. uh, and yeah, so that's uh, they were the main two people. Good that deal. Took me to because, you know, that's one of the things that, I, that I've noticed when, I, when I've been talking to, you know, people who are supporters about their time with the club. Quite often, I do hear that I hear about that work ethic from, from the, the the dads or the fathers, it, it's quite often it's a 
it's another relative or a neighbor or you know a grandparent or something that, that's taking them to the game. So that's it's it's wonderful that that you know that you know that your father is out you know busting his hump at his job and, and having this great work ethic, which you know that's absolutely terrific. But it's great that somebody was there to still ensure that you were able to get to the footy as as often as you were, because that that's just kind of the neat because it leads to a lot of other great you know, memories that, that you have that maybe otherwise you wouldn't get to have. Uh, the, the beauty of it was that, uh, and obviously we're going to get on to the favourite game, mm-hmm. but um, the one day that he did uh, decide to turn up, my father, he actually made the footage of everybody running on the ground after the game. And um, we uh, we love reminding him and showing him the footage uh, and uh, and the horrible brown velvet jacket that he was wearing that day. But um, I, yeah, it was uh, it was just are, one of those occasions that uh, he was in the right place at the right time. And yeah, are are we are we talking about the the same game that we're going to be addressing later on? Yeah, correct. Because yes, I be- correct, I believe so. I remember somebody in a kind of a dark burgundy or brown colored jacket that looks like they came out from almost directly behind the goal. Yeah, they, they he almost came in, up by themselves. He came in very late, and he just makes all the footage and all the clips. And uh, okay. yeah, we've uh, and but yeah, just from where we were standing, it's uh, yeah the perfect angle, and it was just a yeah just a coincidence. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but there's also another. I mean, uh, years ago in a in a grand final from 1975, uh, a particular goal was kicked, and in watching the the replay of the goal. Uh, I managed to find both my mother and my father sitting together right behind the player as he was, uh, yeah, celebrating the goal. So uh, little things like that. He's he's been in a couple of different highlights over, over his journey, and uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was mainly my grandmother and my uncle that took me. And but yeah, he's he's had a couple of cameo appearances. <laughs> and those are something that'll be that'll those will be on YouTube forever. So you can always just go back and 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 click on them and go. Yep, that's that's something I, I I'm never going to be able to you know never going to have to forget. So exactly, how did you you know you've been working with the club now for I believe you said 28 years at this yep, point in yeah. time. So how did you years. how did you find yourself working with the club and 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 how did you start out and what did you move on to and what are you doing now? Well, I, I was in I suppose a lucky position that. Um, uh, Getting the job was not difficult because I, from the age of three, that day that I started going, we were always, uh, you know, inside the the club itself, whether it be through uh, the cheer squad or the social club or any of the networks within the club. And um, and I just, uh, when when the job was available, uh, just knew the right people at the right time, and that the person that was leaving uh, knew my partner at the time, and um, they didn't want to advertise for the position. Uh, they just didn't have the resources to reply to as many people that would have applied for the job, and lucky enough, uh, yeah, I, I sort of had the right uh, the right skills. I've always been, you know, I suppose heavily interested in football statistics and numbers, so that that weighed heavily in my favour. And the fact that I was available and ready to go, and it was just a volunteers' job at the time, so mm-hmm. uh, it, it wasn't going to take up any more than than game day itself. So yeah, it was it was quite an easy process. And back then it was 19, uh, 1995, early in nineteen ninety five, and um, yeah, it was it was just a quick little chat to uh, Dennis Pagan at the time. I went in, I watched uh, a couple of different clips of the uh, certain statistics that he wanted me to to call during a game, um, and then from then on it was uh, it was really a fait accompli. I was I was going to get the job, mm-hmm. but there just needed to be that ten or fifteen minute meeting that uh, that took place and. 
and yeah, I was uh, I was then uh, given the position. Uh, so it was uh, February February eighth, nineteen ninety five. That's when I started. So it was. It's what you might call a little bit of indirect nepotism, but it's worked out well for you over the years. So that's uh... oh, you get you you follow the team that you you love around the country, and you get to see all the not only the games, but you're working with the heroes that you know, mm -hmm. and then they you just become regular people to you, and just your friends and. Uh, it's amazing that, uh, yeah, they're just lifelong memories. And also the group of people that I worked with was an amazing group of people. And uh, they're, they're lifelong friends as well. Well, I, this is one of the things that always attracted me you, since I've been following the game for the last now almost seven years now. This is one of the things that, that has stood out to me about footy is that you mentioned that they're just regular people. It almost seems like in a way that, that, that they're that anyway, even if you're not somebody that is working in the club like you are the, the, I, i've said it a number of times to, to me it looks as though you know well well supporters may get frustrated with the direction their club is going at some time or another there seems to be a genuine love affair between the clubs and their supporters definitely with uh, and any club doesn't matter who you support right but, right uh, obviously exactly. i've got the yeah the inside running rail on the north melbourne people and their and their love for our club and uh uh, it, it's 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 amazing how yeah you do have everybody up on a pedestal and it probably took a couple of years to to so I suppose feel comfortable even mm -hmm. around the superstars of the game and we were going through a, a period when I started I, I couldn't have started at a better time uh, you know I was in my mid twenties we hadn't seen any success since probably nineteen seventy seven mm -hmm. and uh, we were just uh, starting our huge upswing with Dennis and Wayne Carey at the helm and. Uh, uh, I think in the first five years of my service at the club, I experienced six different types of premierships. And wow. uh, of course, it's been a bit of a drought since then, but I it just could not have started at a better time and all uh, with a better bunch of people. But yeah, then uh, it's it's amazing how, yeah, you just, you, you go from having the people up on a pedestal, you see them for two hours once a week mm -hmm. to then seeing them two or three times a week. And and yeah, you just become, you become friends and, and yeah, you just, you, you right. go through the, they're just regular people and it's almost like yeah. a shock to the system it's it's you know and i and I've, I've i've had this discussion with a number of other people that you know that that you know you're the way that that footy is in in australia it i think it's a lot different than sports here in the united states because you know we we have we have players right now in major league baseball who are signing new 11 just in this past week 11 year contracts for like $320 million. Yeah. So they're going to be getting paid, you know, 31, $32 million a year for, you know, for the next 10 or 11 years, these massive contracts. You're the typical fan and maybe even the person working for the club isn't necessarily going to be running anywhere close to being in the same circles with them. But if you're, if you're a, a North Melbourne supporter, you know, you may find yourself running into, you know, uh, Jack Zebel or Luke McDonald at, at the at the coffee shop or something like that. You know, in the morning while you, both of you were on your way to work, and you know, they may know each other's names because that per, they're they're all, all the time. Yeah, I have always mm -hmm. joked and I've said, you know, you're not going to find you know LeBron James you know stopping by the Woolworths to pick up a gallon of milk after work because the wife called and said we're out of milk. Somebody's taking care of that for LeBron. It's never going to happen. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing the contact. Um, it. it what 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 gets me is that uh, that the staff at any level within the club 
mm-hmm. have access to the players at any time of the day. They're not isolated from anybody or you're not, you know, you're not allowed to go here or there within the four walls of the football club. Um, it, it, you, you have contact with, with all staff at all times and uh, always happy to have a chat. And it's amazing how down to earth the players really are. Um, and when you have that, I suppose, my comfortability of being at the club for as long as I have, that, you know, some people sort of come in and it takes a bit of time. You know, they might be nervous or a little bit reticent to maybe approach the players. But uh, once once you do, you just realise that they're all approachable and, and we're all in the in the same boat, right, on the right. same journey and the same path. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it, it's just a, almost just a, another friend that you can add to the list and somebody else to talk to. And, yeah. and you know, that's the beauty of the club is that there's, there is no no hierarchy it's everybody's on the on the same level and uh, if anybody gets a little bit too big for their boots they certainly get told about it <laughs> and and you're at a point since you have been around the club as long as you have that you, you have you know insights about things that maybe some of the younger players might maybe they don't feel comfortable asking their teammates about and they might i don't know if they ever come to you and ask advice about things because they don't want to look you know maybe silly in front of their teammates at all the the one, I suppose the one constant that I've had, and it's probably because of my time, most of the time it's about the history of the club. Okay. Uh, along one of the walls, we have a, uh, a wall of fame, uh, just a tiled wall with all the, you know, the people that have made the club and the history of the club, those, the pillars of our club that have, you know, uh, taken it from, you know, where it was in, in the early 40s and 50s to, to present day. Um, so a lot of the time it might be just about who's that person there on the wall, what, you know, what role did they play? Um, you know, and then just just the history of the club. What was it like to work in the '90s when we were at the you know the peak of our powers, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and then each, even through the decline, or even you know, what were the coaches like? You know, what were the interstate trips like? Or how was you know what what was it was a different era. There was no social media, so like things like this today, there was just was not not available. So uh, it was a different era, uh, different feel, and um, and now. Uh, yeah, a lot of the younger players coming in would would not even recognise how you know, it was probably difficult in the early days as well because um, everybody was trying to you know I suppose um, behave themselves right you right. know and you just you've got to be very careful now today about what you say where you go uh, who you interact with and and um, yeah it's it, it's all for the better of course but uh, yeah it's more about the history I think that, that that's the main thing that the players have come to me about. There's one or two that have uh, now that I've moved into the VFL system. It's great because you get to see our development squad players who are not listed players. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are players that we invite down to to the club to train and try out for our reserve grade team. And uh, it's opened my eyes to a, a whole different program, uh, a lot different to the AFL program. But but essentially, still they're all North Melbourne players when they when they walk in the door. So that's been a really good eye opener as well. Okay, so when you became working with somebody who was working as a statistician, did you find yourself, because I've watched a couple of videos on YouTube about, you know, people who are basically calling the statistics during the course of a game. And it, and it almost sounds like they're an auctioneer when they're calling things. Uh, do you, did you find yourself having to, to learn how to watch the game differently because of you being in that new role? Uh, completely. Okay. Uh, from from uh, the minute I started, uh, and, and look, I'm a football nuffy. I'll watch all nine games. At some mm-hmm. point over the weekend, I'll watch all nine games. And uh, it's incredible how you go from when I started, I was a, you know, I've always been a caller through my career at North Melbourne, uh, how different the game looks in replay 
to when it was live. Uh, whether you you think I don't remember calling that, did I even call that stat? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, when you're calling, you you do get into a zone, and you certainly get into a routine of calling each specific transaction and piece of piece of play uh, in a certain way, so that uh, the person who's coding the game for you can not only keep up but you know input the correct stats. And uh, it's it's very regimented. So I found that yeah, I I watched the game back. And it it is a completely different look. Even even if you know the result, it's mm-hmm. a completely different look the second time round. The first time round, you just you just focused on your job at hand, what you've got to call, and you've just got to get it in real time and get it in a hundred percent accurate all the time. And yeah, once it's it's amazing how different it looks when you when you go home and watch it back. Yeah, because you you don't have that. Yeah, you know, as a statistician, you don't have that opportunity really to cheer because you're too busy. Yeah. In yeah. the, it's funny in the uh, in the early days, uh, I'd say the first three or four years, mm-hmm. um, we were um, we had several different positions that we called the stats from, and often we would actually call it in the crowd. There was there was uh, little sections of the MCG where you would go and sit in the crowd, and okay. the opposition statisticians would sit in front of you, and our statisticians would sit behind them but we're only in the next bay across from all the members and supporters. Okay. And we're trying to hear each other talk in amongst the cheering and the yelling. And, and of course there was a lot of feedback coming our way. <laughs> and uh, that was the first couple of years, not all, not all positive, but uh, it was amazing how many different positions we actually took up until we actually found ourselves in a box beside the coaches. And that was about the first three to four years we spent completely separate to the coaching staff. So there was the odd cheer. There was a few little high fives here and there. And of course, we went through a huge uh, successful period. So there was a lot of winning involved, uh, which I was extremely grateful for, especially the experience I've had in the last 10 or so years. We've been a little bit, a little bit uh, yeah, down in the dumps. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was certainly a different vibe. And then when we joined with the coaches, uh, we had one or two years where we actually were in the box. And then they had a, another... Uh, renovation to the MCG gave us a box beside them and we were able to separate the two groups. So yeah, we were a lot better behaved in the, in the latter part of the career. So which, which venue that you worked in had the best press box for, for, for your position, for, for, for you working in, in terms of, you know, what worked out best for you? Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say that, that the MCG, you know, is, it had the best facilities, um, uh, we every, the three or four different places they put us early days. I mean, we started in the crowd, then we went. We actually went into the media center, but that wasn't any good because the media watched the game, but also they're talking about horse racing and all other sports that are going on <laughs> at the same time, and they're not. Yeah, they're not. And then they only write their content at the end of the day, and, right, and then right. we we actually ended up in a box, isolated in a third umpire's box between a members stand and another stand, and. Okay. Um, so that was an elevated position and we're all by ourselves. So that was excellent. And then uh, the later later part, they actually put on an extra stat, uh, stats box beside the coaches in the Southern stand. And I, I, that was probably the best one because it was, it was big enough for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody could spread out. There was enough room to have two different callers calling the game at the same time, one for the opposition, one for North Melbourne. Okay. So there wasn't any crossover of all the noise and the confusion. Um, and then... I'd say second to that, the the uh, the, the coaches box at uh, Marvel Stadium, um, that that's an excellent position. It's a great position to to view the game, 
uh, and also just that you are still close with the coaches because as the years progressed, there was certainly more uh, more um, contact with the coaches and what they wanted right, from us, right. but also enough, I suppose, uh, you know, noise cancelling walls and everything, whatnot, that uh, you could still do your job, uh, even though the coach is probably um, having a conniptic fit in the in the next room. So that's okay. <laughs> So yeah, we, we, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it was yeah. It, 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 I think main the main part was that for those two boxes, the the viewing and also just the the soundproofing and everything, and that they're probably just the the two essentials if you're going to do the job properly and do it accurately. Okay, and it's funny you mentioned the the being in with the media while they're talking about everything else because I I have worked uh, I work as a public address announcer as well because I I announce. Uh, at the school where I work, I've been doing it for 13 years. I announced American, the high school gridiron football team and our soccer teams. And I had a, I had a situation. We had a, uh, an administrator at our building who's not there anymore who would come up to the press box during the game and would stand right behind me as I'm trying to announce the game as it's, as the, the plays are, you know, the result of each play, that sort of thing. And he would stand behind me with actually the guy who was announcing the, the games for the younger children. And they're talking about everything in the world. And I, and I finally got to the point where I had to sit, turn around and tell them to shut the hell up because I couldn't focus on what I was trying to do with this. But, uh, yeah, it's, I, I can completely understand why you, it didn't last long working with the media in the same room because there's so many other things going on because it can be distracting. So yeah. the, what, the I'd make a, I, I was going to say, I, um, recently actually just come to mind because there are so many different boxes, but uh, mm -hmm. two in particular, the, uh, there's two new boxes that I had the, the great experience uh, of working in was um, the new Perth Stadium um, is absolutely outstanding and completely soundproof. Okay. Um, almost to the point where even a knock on the window can't be heard to the next Ooh. room. Um, and uh, obviously, and the Adelaide Oval. I mean, it's just an iconic venue in Australia. Mm -hmm. And and I've got, I've got a really, you know, very, very <laughs> I suppose, a soft spot for all the, the special venues around the country that I've just... I've wanted so desperately to go and see some sort of sporting event at, and and North Melbourne has been the vehicle to help me go and achieve that. And uh, um, there's there's some shockers, but uh, the two they, yeah. they're two new ones that have just popped up recently, and very good because not only the level that you're at, but also soundproofing. But but the but the stadiums are they're just absolutely world class, and I think that that's where we're headed. But um, okay, but yeah, we we had some interesting uh, some interesting times on some scaffolding and out in the rain in electrical storms <laughs> and. And standing on steel platforms that you felt like if you even shifted to the left, you're just going to roll everything over, and you and everybody else in it are just going to tip over. And and at the same time, you're trying to keep paper dry too, right? Yeah, that's right. That's, so there wow. Was, there was wow. there was one in particular. We um we did a preseason game out at Kellyville in the west of Sydney, and uh, there was a huge electrical storm, and uh, we were on a um on a piece of scaffolding, mm -hmm. so we had um we were sitting to the left. Uh, we had the champion data, who are now the official statisticians of the AFL, in the middle of us. And then the Sydney Swans, who we played that day as a preseason game, they were next. And uh, every time there was a, a, you know, a thunder or you know, some sort of you know, lightning strike or whatever, the whole thing would rattle and shake. And we'd all just grab one of the poles that was beside us and we're giving each other a look like we're all about to you know, <laughs> meet, our, which, meet our doom. It which was I... I'm sure that those were not exactly wooden poles that you were grabbing onto either. No, it was all that's steel the, scaffolding. Yeah, and um, and we just had the old canvas sheet over the top, the blue okay. plastic sheet, and uh, 
And unfortunately, the weather was coming directly into our faces, not coming from behind us. So that was so, that was a, an interesting night. So for, fortunately, this didn't turn out like the, the priest playing golf on Caddyshack, if you've ever seen that film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it maybe hundred and five times. That's, uh, that's exactly right. And, uh, and it's not the only time it's happened. It's happened when we've been in stadiums where you're yeah. well and truly protected, but you just think, my God, how do, yes, how do we yes. end up here? Yeah. So what what is the... Before we move on to the other positions that, that you've been involved in, what is the what has has been the most or was the most difficult stat for you to track during the course of a game? What's the thing you had the the most difficult time with? Uh, I would always say the defensive uh, stats. So as as my job progressed, I ended up I ended up in a position where I called the entire game. So okay. from from center bounce to the final siren, I was calling all the defensive stats, all the actual raw stats like kicks, marks, and handballs, mm -hmm. just the generic stats, but all the defensive stuff that, and each year it shifted a little bit, whatever coach came in or, you know, we'd have a new assistant coach come in and we had a lot of stuff that went by the wayside and then a lot of new stuff that was introduced. So the defensive stuff was difficult because a lot of the time that was either forward of the play before it happened or behind the play and you've got to try to also somehow keep that peripheral vision going to the left or the right, whichever way the ball was tracking. So you're not only calling the live play where the ball is situated, mm -hmm. but also all the play either behind and forward of the ball. So it was difficult, but I got into a fantastic routine uh, that I was able to communicate it to the people who were coding for me so that it wasn't just a mishmash of words, not a word okay. salad that you have to work through. And we, and we also got to a situation where we went through a period where we'd call the player names and then the transaction. And, and then at times we'd just call the number and the okay. transaction because uh, as the team sheets were in those days, they were all in number order. Right. And sometimes we found it easier to call the number because generically you, you probably find the team list is very much the same each week mm -hmm. with one or two you know, changes through injury, suspension and otherwise. So yeah, it was we've we've gone through a different few guises, but you know, uh, essentially it was, and, and it was just, it happened so rapidly that half the time you don't have time to think. So I, I just I just fell into a good routine okay. uh, with that, but um, I still have a little bit of um, communication with a couple of players, in particular David King, who uh, still criticises me for uh, something I missed twenty five years ago. <laughs> so David, hi. Kingy, if you're out there, well, if you see this, hey. I probably I probably still owe you 25 run passes and about 10 tackles, brother. I'll get to you. I promise I'll get to you. If 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 he is listening, I would certainly love to have him on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> he's he's a, well, he's the analyst on Fox Footy. Right, and you, right, you exactly. You couldn't speak to a better football person, yes. and not only that, he's just a he's just a magnificent oh, person. I, 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 you know, I, I grew up a huge baseball fan here in the United States, and I'm not going to get into the whys that I'm not involved with it anymore, but I haven't watched a baseball game in two and a half years. I, all, I, all I watch during footy season is footy. That's it. And I, you know, I, I'm watching the, you know, everything that's on, you know, because I have the, the, the Watch AFL app that we get here that, you know, so I'm watching all of the Fox footy programming you know, I, I wish they could find out, a, find a way to go ahead and put, you know, like the front bar and uh, the, the, the show that, that Caroline Wilson is on on that app. So I don't have to go find it the next day on, on YouTube. I wish they could just say, since we're getting the games from Channel 7, 
on the on the app. Why can't they put all the programming from channels? I think it's channel seven and channel nine, is it not? Yeah, seven yeah. had uh, game day on a Sunday right. morning, but they cancelled that show, and so the actual uh, the broadcaster no longer has a an actual football program. Uh, I think that that they'll probably try to remedy that in the near future, but. Uh, but look, we're, we're saturated now and we're spoiled yeah. for content. I mean, uh, back in, you know, when we talk about the game we're going to talk about, in those days you had a yeah a, a sevens big league on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have had a, 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 a little leading show called League Teams on Thursday night when the teams were announced. And then you would have uh, World of Sport on a Sunday morning, which ran from a, probably about, you know, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, <clears throat> pardon me, till about two o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, and that was that was it. There was nothing else, and uh, you you just had to sort of live and breathe through those those programs. And and, now, and and the newspapers, and maybe was there yeah, was there a lot of radio content at that time as well? Oh, enormous radio radio okay. on the papers, and uh, okay. you'd also have when the when the games finished, you would have a late edition of the Herald in Melbourne, and uh, you'd be able to pick up the late edition and probably get most of the uh, the footy results as they happened on a Saturday afternoon. Okay. And I suppose that was the beauty of having all six games at the time running at the same time on a Saturday afternoon at all our suburban grounds. That's a good point. They can, they get, they can get, aggregate everything pretty much all at the same time. That makes, that makes a little bit of sense then. So you, yeah. you, you had two other roles. You were also, or, and I'm not even sure which one you are in right now, but you've been the team manager and the property manager. So tell, tell us a little bit about which one you went to next and which one you're doing now. Uh, yeah, so I was the statistician until from 95 to 2019. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I uh, I was offered the uh, the position as team manager. Uh, the guy that was there was was probably going to leave, and then I came in under his tutelage and uh, just took on a, a different role, a lot more responsibility, um, just looking after the VFL team. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was a di- it was certainly different. There were a lot more lot more facets to you know whether it be team lists and you know registering players and and. Uh, and then I worked with a couple of other people who were probably a little bit higher up the chain than myself, and they helped me, uh, you know, move into that team manager's role. And it's it's more a, a lot of game day stuff, uh, team lists, uh, you know, organising stuff with the opposition to get their property into the clubs and into the into the rooms, and um, and working with the umpires, even just the, the little things of uh, you know providing the footballs on the day, uh, mm-hmm. all the drink bottles, getting the trainers and the medical staff sorted out. Uh, and then now the property, we've had uh, another couple of people move on in the meantime. And now I'm, I suppose I'm now dealing with all the property uh, with you know, the jumpers, the shorts, the socks and training nights where uh, we're sorting out all the all the footies and pumping up balls and then getting the washing on afterwards. And right. Yeah. Uh, and then even the even the, you know, the, the food that the players eat before and after the game, we're, we're looking after that. So, okay. yeah, sort of a glorified but, water boy now. So which is, well... uh, <laughs> So it's it's I, I think in baseball they would have called that person kind of like the clubhouse manager that you that you're yeah. there that you're making sure that, that all, all the amenities are taken care of for for your club you know in that situation so and people were spread thin you know when COVID hit we lost a lot of good people people right, were right. stood down and weren't able to be you know reintroduced into the program so mm-hmm. so a lot of us were, you know were, were doing a couple of different roles but you know what you're involved at the club that you love. Um, it's a privilege to work there. Uh, whether you're a volunteer or a full-time member of the staff, it doesn't matter. You're still involved, and, and you'd, you'd probably do anything to to help the club get through that period. And 
And uh, yeah, wherever it sits today, I'm happy with that. And uh, I'll just continue to serve the club the best I can for as long as they're happy to have me. Now, did, did you go into the hub when they went into the hubs? No, no, that was for okay. all the full-time staff. So I'm not, okay. I'm still a volunteer, I suppose. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, that was the full-time staff. So look, I suppose, uh, yeah, that, that was probably difficult for everybody. But um, no, didn't go into the hub, just stayed okay. here in Melbourne and uh, just uh, went, went about life as, as per normal. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh, kind of shift gears a little bit here and uh, talk about the, the game that is the one you are never going to forget. And, and I don't know if the fact that your dad got on video out of the stands is why you're going to not forget it, but uh, tell us what game it was, what round, that sort of thing, and uh, tell us a little bit about why this game sticks out at you, or sticks out to you, I should say. All right. Well, we've got props. There's the game. There's the program <laughs> from the day. Okay. That's so uh, 1976, and, um, yeah, it was uh, – uh, Carlton v North Melbourne, uh, 1976 at Princess Park. Um, Carlton were, you know, probably one of our you know, fiercest rivals in the 70s. It was Carlton North Melbourne, Collingwood North Melbourne, and Hawthorne North Melbourne were probably the most anticipated games amongst. And then, sort of, when everybody played each other, yeah, mm -hmm. those 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 clubs were uh, intense rivals through the 70s, and to a lesser extent, North Melbourne and Richmond from the early 70s as well. But uh, this particular day. Um, I think why I chose this game is not just the ending, but mm. I think it's the first time that I I really felt genuine, like heart palpitations and excitement at, at what had just taken place. And it's right. and the memory, but it's probably the one that really sticks in my memory as the most memorable uh, because I've actually got probably another game that's my favourite game, which is the same club, mm -hmm. Carlton and North Melbourne at the same venue, but three years later. But this one is the first time where I genuinely just felt absolute elation yeah. and the crowd around me was just going berserk and uh, what we'd seen because in all intents and purposes, the game until that last seven or eight minutes was really a little bit humdrum for North Melbourne fans. Carlton had our measure all day yeah, and uh, it was just going to be another game where, you know, okay, they've got the better of us, which they did quite regularly. And uh, we're just going to have to lick our wounds and move on until Malcolm Blight stepped up and, he had a five-minute patch where, you know, everything he touched turned to gold. And, of course, it culminated with the goal after the siren. He was everywhere. I'm looking at the – I have, the, I have the, the, the stat sheet from that game printed out here. So I'm, uh, I'm, reading, through, I'm reading through that. And uh, it's – it is, uh, you know, they were down by four and a half goals at halftime. They cl closed it a couple goals – took a couple goals off of that. So they're down two and a half goals going into the final quarter. But, uh, yeah, I watched the uh, the – like the last seven or eight minutes of the game on YouTube. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes for those of you who maybe have never seen this, but it was a phenomenal ending because Ma Malcolm Blight was everywhere on the ground. It, he was just, it was everywhere. Yeah. I think he, he um, was one of those players who um, early days uh, started probably more like a uh, half forward pushing into the midfield type player. And then eventually later in the career ended up in the goal square, but Every time he was isolated in the goal square, he, he was always a dangerous target. And he was just the most, he was my hero as a, as a player growing up. Mm -hmm. um, he was, it was the first, I suppose, the, the first player that really um, was you know, just exhilarating to watch. And, uh, but yeah, I, I suppose on that day, he just had a, had a period of play where everything went through him. Uh, he marked everything. 
Obviously, he kicked three late goals that uh, that won us the game. But uh, yeah, we were we were very inaccurate that day. They got the jump on us in the first quarter, and it just looked like we were just going to go through the motions, and it was just going to be you know a reasonable loss, not not so much a respectable one, but maybe something of of the vicinity of. I suppose in the last seven minutes they were fourteen points up, and and it just looked like we were just going to uh, play out a a pretty sort of uh, easy win for them without really having to to dig too deep, and yeah, then of he... course, um, and then of course he uh, it just started with a simple pass that he marked and kicked a drop punt goal, and and then next thing uh, the pressure came on to Carlton, and and from a, a complete game of control for them and being really comfortable right through the day, and that's right, the one right. thing I remember is. We just we just couldn't we we get a goal back, but we were very inaccurate. We had plenty of shots at goal. We just couldn't couldn't you know land the major blow, and then all of a sudden the pressure came. And uh, with um, I suppose they played a little bit safe. Uh, and what I did notice, I did watch this game back um, during the week, is how many simple marks that Carlton dropped. Just the, mm-hmm. the the perceived pressure that came on them just because of that one goal. And then, of course, he followed up straight away with the banana goal. Banana, in, yeah. Yeah, the banana goal in the pocket. And, of course, then it's a single-figure game. And and um, and back then, too, the, the other thing to remember is that in those days, we used to play 25 minutes and time on. So the quarters would go very long. But, mm-hmm. but this was a quite a low-scoring game. So when we got to the 26-27 minute mark, I, I was, you know, and I remember being in the crowd thinking there's plenty of time. You right, know, right. and uh, and uh, but obviously there wasn't. I think no. the quarter only went 28, 28 minutes and some change, and um, of course he took the took the mark, and I I believe when he took the mark, it's around about maybe ten seconds, maybe maybe even less, five seconds before the siren went. So uh, everything just fell into place for Malcolm that day, and uh, and we'll be forever grateful because it's uh, I I believe it's the most famous after the siren goal for a win that that uh, it's ever been played in, in okay. yeah, AFL slash AFL football. He had 11 marks that game. Um, mm. And then, you know, the, the five goals and the clip that I watched uh, once it was done, it, it cut to a piece of video, which I think was probably, I think it said it was on channel seven. And, and I, mm. I recognize the gentleman that was talking to Malcolm Blight, but I don't know his name. I've seen him in other video clips and I'm, you know, those of you who've been following footy for decades are going to see the clip and go, you idiot, you should know exactly who this guy is. And I don't know his name, but they, it was funny because they, you know, they were talking about th- that specific goal, which, you know, was estimated 75, 80 meters. And, and Malcolm Blight was, was commenting about, he said, and I think nowadays it was actually closer to 95 or 98 meters <laughs> out. Uh, and, yeah. But then, but then the gentleman he was talking to showed a couple of, other clips, one where, you know, he, where he ran, you know, he, he came in and, and, and took a mark and, uh, and came into the goal square and actually crossed pa- past the goal and thought he was kicking the easiest goal of his life and kicked it behind and such. So he was it's like, he was trying to mm. humble him a little bit, but they were both yeah, laughing was, about it. Yeah. Yeah. Sandy Roberts. I think the interview That's who it that was, was yes. there, that was Sandy Roberts. That was yes. 1981 against Richmond. And um, where it was probably the first year, 1981 was a difficult year because it was the first year we'd missed the finals since probably 1974. So we were going through a bit of a, bit of a, I suppose, a change of the list. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, Stephen McCann gave him the easiest Joe the Goose over the top. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, in actual fact, I'm right behind those goals and I only just missed myself with my own little piece of uh, football folklore there. And, and I'm just, and I was probably the same as Malcolm. I, I've sort of just put my hands on my head and it's like, what the hell are you doing, mate? Where are you going? 
<laughs> hey, the goals are over here. Apparently, it's the two big sticks in the middle. I don't yeah, know. There you go. Yeah, even but, uh, even yeah, was... even even the kids here at my school when I when I when we watch some footage and they they figure that out pretty quick that it's got to go between the tall ones. Yeah, um. <laughs> and, and then uh, I suppose, and in that same interview, I think they um they refer to the game in the mud and the slush at Arden mm -hmm. Street, which was virtually a year later than that Carlton game, and um. He only had to score a point from a free kick to draw the game, and, he, and of course he ran way out to the yep. right and put it out on Missed the floor. And that was actually that was on my birthday, so happy birthday! Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you very much. <laughs> and a loss to the arch enemy Hawthorne at uh, at our home our home mud heap as it was back in nineteen seventy seven. And and how how did they, you know, seeing it just how chewed up the ground was there. Once it, and I guess, I guess I have to ask this because you know that as much action as the, the ground sees at the MCG, it always seems to be in darn near pristine condition. How mm. did they how did they keep the grounds functional, or did they just after that first well, you know rainstorm, did they just go, well, it's going to be a piece of crap for the rest of the year? I, I'll tell you one thing that um, if you ever played St Kilda at Moorabbin. You could go down there on a 26 degree day with beautiful sunshine and it hasn't rained in two weeks and you'll play in six inches of mud because somewhere along the line someone will get into the gardener's shed and turn the sprinklers on about the thursday night and make sure that any team that had any leg speed would be brought back to the st kilda level but uh, I, I believe it's probably because back then we had the uh, the cricket teams would take over the afl's uh, patch in the summer and mm -hmm. you not only had the cricket pitches in the middle uh, but then also you had the reserve game on, but, and that, that's from the summer moving right, right. into the football season. But um, so you'd have a lot of uh, cricket wickets in the middle of the grounds that the minute that the football you know studs would go into them and chew them up and tear them up. And of course, we wore metal studs back then, not the, wow. uh, not the yeah, not the molded soles that we wear mm -hmm. now. And of course, in winter, everybody was attuned to going into the, you know, the, the screwing studs or the metal studs when uh, and it would just chew the grounds up. But but also, um, you would have the reserve grade game on uh, beforehand. And if it was a day like, you know, you saw in 1977 in that interview clip, then uh, the ground is uh, just destroyed. By the time the right. AFL team or VFL senior team ran out, uh, the, the ground was just almost, uh, um, it was unplayable. But but look, there were a lot of venues like that. South Melbourne were at the Lake Oval in Albert Park. And, and, and that, that, was, that was incredibly muddy all the time. Uh, the Western Oval for Footscray was the same, um, and uh, and even if you look at some of the old Grand Finals from the from the early seventies, mm -hmm. uh, when it did go to colour TV, you could see how bare and how how patchy the you know the MCG surface was, and and even if I refer to the nineteen seventy seven Grand Final, it was incredibly dusty, and uh, you know a lot of lot of bare patches around the ground. It wasn't a particularly good look. It was great that we won the game, but the right, ground was right. in terrible condition by the end of the football season. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned uh, St. Kilda turning on the water. And I mean, I make another another film, another sports film mm. reference, but it's a baseball one. Have you ever seen the movie Bull Durham? Yeah, yeah, I love you know, Bull where, Durham. Yeah, where, the, you know, where they're not, not wanting to play the game the next day and they go out and turn the sprinklers on at the field. And, then, right. and Kevin Costner says, gentlemen, what we got here is ourselves a natural disaster. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, any any of the sports videos. I've yeah. got them in the back. As you can see, I've got a reasonable video collection just there. So there's about 400 there for you. So, so those are all, sport, all sports related? No, nah, just uh, anything from A to Z, and they're all in okay. alphabetical order. Okay. Too, so any statist any statistician worth his salt will have everything well, I, in, in alphabetical I have, order. I, I have the same thing as well. 
Do, I'll have to ask you this. Do you have yours on a Google spreadsheet, though? No, no, no. But uh, I do have. I, a I do. <laughs> the, uh, I do have the list. You know, it's like the old, yeah. uh, the old football cards or you know, mm-hmm. sports uh, yep. trading cards. I've just got the uh, the the, the, li- the list of needs and the list right. of wants, and went, you know, just crossing them off one at a time. Yeah, that's what I. I'll open when I when I go to the store when I when I'm going to look for a movie here or there. I will. I'll open up that that list on the the Google Doc on my phone. So I make sure sh- I make sure I don't buy a duplicate of something. Oh, I've got that one already. So I to make sure I don't pick that one up. Yeah, but, uh, easier when they're in alphabetical order, mate. Because absolutely, you don't have to no, no, you're right. You're right. It's absolutely spot on. Yep. So yeah, I love your thinking. It absolutely, it absolutely is. So it's. I wanted to ask you, and you, I, mean, I think we've probably got a couple names that would go on the list now. Here in the United States, and I actually have a, a coffee cup up here that is purely a coincidence because I made a cup of tea in this one today. It's doubtful you have ever heard of Mount Rushmore in Australia. Mount Rushmore is a national park here in the United States, and on it, is, there's, it has a, a pretty big mountain, and uh, back about 80 years ago, they carved the faces of four United States presidents into it. And here in the U.S., when they talk about sports teams and such, they'll say, well, you know, what players on are on your Mount Rushmore for your team? So... Well, we don't have, you know, a Mount Rushmore in Australia that I know of or something that's equivalent, but I'm sure there's something like that. Um, if you were to have a memorial or a statue that you were going to be building or, you know, put the, the plaques up, what four roos would you be putting on there? Uh, I would probably, oh, geez, yeah, and it's only four, but yeah, I do know Mount Rushmore, but uh it would be very difficult, I tell you, when you put me on the spot, I, I, because I would probably change it. I think I would change it almost for the generations that have come, because okay. the, the first name that pops into my mind with anything to do with North Melbourne is Ron Barassi, okay. because he completely changed the history of the club. We'd, we'd you know, gone through such a long period, although we, we entered the competition in 1925. Uh, we really only had a fleeting appearance in the finals through the through the 50s, and and we won a couple of back-to-back night uh, night grand finals in the 65 and 66, I believe, at the old South Melbourne Lake ground. But um, but when Ron Barassi turned up, uh, he completely changed the course of our history. And uh, I, so I would, the first pace would, would always go to Ron Barassi for me. Okay. Uh, and, um, and, and look, you know, and Dennis Pagan, of course, uh, that Ron Barassi and Dennis Pagan have overseen the two greatest eras that our football club has ever seen. And um, and, and so the, that only leaves a, a couple of spots for players. So I think we're going to need one for the, the, maybe the, maybe for say a Ron Barassi, an Alan Aylett, a Dennis Pagan, and, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe one other administrator and then one for the players because it's just impossible. Okay. And I think um, when you talk about say the team of the century uh, and those things that all the clubs have, uh, I look at my you know, team of the century for North Melbourne and, um, it is just stacked. Like some some of them probably, uh, are, you know, teams that are lacking the success have sort of, you know, put together a team of the century that might not be as great as some of the others. But, geez, four of them. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm putting, you know, I mean, I'm putting Malcolm Blight on there because he was uh, my first hero as a player, right? Right. And he was, and uh, he was just so revered. He was so exciting, so exhilarating. And he just changed the way that that players. It was a very sort of, you know, I suppose apart from say the excitement of a Royce Hart or a Peter McKenna and uh, even a Peter Hudson at his peak, 
um, Malcolm Blight was the first player of my generation where I just went, geez, wow, how glad am I to have him playing mm-hmm. for my team? And, he, and any of his highlights packages just proved the point. So he'd be number one for me. You can't go without Wayne Carey, uh, right, probably right. arguably the you know the greatest player. He's the greatest player that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favourite player of all time is Malcolm Blight. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> how many have you got to leave out? Because then, you know, if you go through the seventies group, you've got you know Wayne Schimmelbush, you've got Ross Glendening, Keith Gregg, David Dench, uh, and then you know obviously through the nineties, we've got you know Glenn Archer, Anthony Stevens, um, uh, Corey McKernan, uh, David King, Kingy. There's another mention that's two. See now you now you now you don't have, now you don't have to get him those extra stats. That's right. So, <laughs> so it's just I. I and a lot of the time, it's always about the players. If you were to say that you know, Mount Rushmore is for the best players of the competition right. that you've had, then Wayne Carey sits, you know, he's probably his at the shoulders. Top. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, head and shoulders above anybody else right. that's, that's ever put the North Melbourne Guernsey on, and that that that's clear cut. Um, and then after that, um, I'm certainly going to lean towards. Probably then it becomes a little bit of favoritism with uh, maybe an Anthony Stevens, a Glenn Archer. But then you you you, know, you look at someone like um, like an Adam Simpson who played over three hundred games, mm-hmm. and then Drew Petrie who played over three hundred games. There's not too many mugs that play three hundred games in in right, AFL football. Right. So so their service just can never be underestimated. And um and you know and most of them are premiership players, uh, Brownlow medal winners, Coleman medal, you know legend Malcolm Blight's a legend of the competition. Uh, he's won a McGarry medal, a Brownlow medal, a Coleman medal. He's a premiership mm-hmm. player. Times two, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's probably go Carey Blight, uh, and then maybe we'll have to have another conversation, and I'll narrow the five hundred other players <laughs> down to two in uh, in the next coming coming days. I should have mentioned that to you before because I kind of I did kind of put you on the spot with that, but you you <laughs> ran you ran through a list of, of of you know a lot of the names that I recognize from from you know other discussions that I've had with other people in, involved with or supporters of North Melbourne. So that's been that's been. Uh, a lot of those names would, I did. I, I, did tell you, I tell you, I did forget one, and it would be remiss of me not to mention this man because this man is a legend of North Melbourne. That'd be Ron Casey. Okay. And uh, I think so. If you're going to talk about administrators, and there's another another pillar of the club that just can mm-hmm. never be left out of any conversation. Well, yeah, that absolutely. And again, yeah, I, I did not, I did not preface whether they had to be playing or being involved in some other facet of the club. So I appreciate you, mm-hmm. do, you know, mentioning kind of both of those and saying, well, I'm going to have this list and Maybe. that list that worked out well. well. Can we find another mountain? Sure. Is there, is there some, well, some there, rock carvers out there with some spare well, time on their hand? I, you we... know, I, I, I know that Pink Floyd at one time said that there was a dark side of the moon, so I'm sure that there's, there's probably space <laughs> over there too. Uh, yeah. So before we go, I guess you know, we have to talk about the present day. Okay. And, you know, that you brought in you know, a couple of, of very highly thought of uh, youngsters to the club with, with, with Harry Sheasel and George Wardlaw and a couple of other names as well. Um, and I, and are, you, are you excited about uh, Alistair Clarkson taking over as the senior coach of the club? Yeah, it's uh, of, oh, of course it's exciting. But mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you now, every time a new coach comes in, it's always exciting. Um, and, and, that, and that's, let's be I'll, honest, I'll, that's I'll, happened I'll, fairly frequently in recent years yeah, at our yeah, we went. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we we had a fantastic run with so many great coaches over mm-hmm. the period of time. We didn't have many changes, and we right. didn't have any need to change. Um, but there's always going to be a time um, when somebody moves on. But uh, 
I'm sort of the eternal optimist. I'll turn up to every game thinking we can win. Mm-hmm. If you're not, get, if you don't think you can win a game, I don't know why you even turn up. What's the point of all the meetings during the week, all the coaching, all the collaboration, all the all the video edits and everything? I'm just a, I just always turn up at zero zero when the game starts, and and uh, you only have to outscore the opponent by one point, and uh, you get the you get the chocolates. But uh, but no, look, exciting. I was I was I, you know I started working here when Alistair was here as a player and. And my first year was uh, his last year as a North Melbourne player, but he finished with a premiership in the reserves as a, as a co-captain. So okay. uh, it's a little bit of a reunion, I suppose. And I've run into Alistair once already. Yeah. Uh, we don't cross paths a lot because my training regime with the VFL happens from five o'clock onwards in the afternoon and, and the AFL boys and their program have already vacated the building by the time, but we'll, we'll cross paths a lot more. And when the season proper comes around, once we get back to training through January through to through to September October, then yeah, we'll cross paths plenty of times, and and I'll just yeah, we'll probably just even say yeah, hi, how you going? Do you remember me? I was, you know, I was here when you began, but mm-hmm. um, but look, I'm always excited when the, every single year it'll be the same time this you know this time next year when we've got another group of players coming in, and um, you always look at it and uh, you just think, geez, it's a great list, it's a, an yeah. exciting young list. It's always it's always exciting to welcome new talent into the club. And um, you, you can only be, you know, be anything. It, you, you just be impressed because these guys have worked their backside off and uh, they've, they've earned their spot on the list. And, you know, we're excited for their future and our future. And hopefully it all, you know, comes together sooner rather than later. But, you know, if we all, uh, we all, as they say, our ships must sail in the same direction. There you so, go. Uh, That's, that makes a lot of sense. That's uh I was going to ask you one more question, but I think that you you probably have already told us how you would answer it, I think. Mm-hmm. And again, I will ask it anyway, because I was going to say, uh, you know, when you know, when did you see the Ruse finding their way, making a push back into the top eight? And do you realistic, realistically think it could happen this year? But as you said, you play to win the games week in and week out. So I would think that maybe in your mind right now you're thinking absolutely we've got a shot at it yeah i mean i, I understand that uh there's you know but talk around the club i mean you finish bottom of the ladder two years in a row then mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and and the thing that's footy if you're in football long enough and i i'm lucky i i've you know some people come and work for the club i i can remember people that lasted you know one year sometimes mm-hmm. one month you know but you've been involved in the club you've got to see it you know at, at right at the coalface and uh, I'll always believe that uh, when you send 22 men out onto the field, 23 now, and um, you, you're always a chance. Uh, you only have to be a little percentage off and uh, you're always a chance of winning. But um, I'll never turn up to a game and just say, no, we're an, we're absolutely no chance today because it's no point getting out of bed or turning up to the event. And uh, But no, we we will be planning to play finals. I'm sure that that's the plan for Alistair and that's the plan oh, yeah, for the I... club. and. And everybody, what you, you you plan to win one game at a time? I know there's there a go. it's a very long season, but you're only playing one game at a time. And if you just win that one game in a row, it leads to the second game. So and it and it's knows. longer this year because if I'm not mistaken, haven't they added one more round of the fixture? Yeah, yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah they have. So that'll be so interesting. I um, it, it's funny when you when you get back into football, you start to read all the football news again, mm-hmm. and when the season ends, it's nice to have a little fr- re- uh, refresher and you sort of turn off all the football news until the trade period is and everyone's interested in the trade period. And, and now we're just waiting for the, uh, the rest of the draw to come out for next year. And, and then we'll just see where we sit in, in that regard. And, 
then we just get back to training and come back from Christmas and yeah, we'll just attack it full steam ahead. I'm sure that, and yeah, the excitement of Alistair Clarkson. I mean, obviously with his with his record and mm-hmm. uh, where where he's standing in the game. So of course, everyone around the club is uh, is excited. But yeah, we were excited when when Nodes came on board, and we were excited when Reshaw took it over. And I was excited when you know I went through from Dennis Pagan to you know, to, and even with Darren Crocker as an interim coach and. Uh, and then into Dean Laidley, Danny Laidley now, mm-hmm. and into Brad Scott. And, you know, I've worked with some brilliant football minds. And that, that's been the, my, my greatest reward is just you just see the best people in football right, right, right at the coalface doing what they do best every single day. And every time you turn up to the club, it, you learn something every time. Now I, I do want to I do want to say one thing before we wrap up here. Now you did say you know to kind of step away and turn off the footy stuff. Now keep in mind, people, there are still people putting out podcasts about footy during the downtime of the season. So you don't have to turn those off. You're absolutely more than welcome to listen to those. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, I'm, and look, I'm a you know, I'm a sports fan at heart, but yeah. um, I've always you know I've lived the traditional Australian life. You've well, got yeah, football makes sense. in yeah. the winter, right? And right. you've got cricket in the summer. And yeah. I've played both sports, and um, and also you know through my Twitter page, people will see that um, I've got a lot of um, you know like even the statistical mind never turns off; it just mm-hmm. never turns off. So so I've got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, cricket score pages. So I I keep myself really involved uh, with the game instead of just sitting there and monotonously monotonously just watching every ball. I'll just pick a game randomly where I like to actually score the game in a scorebook, an mm-hmm. official scorebook. And just keep my, my interest in that way. So you'll probably see on my uh, on my Twitter page that there's a number of those scorecards in there as well. So that's how I like to, you know, I suppose, <laughs> just release from football, but but then go into another guys, and that's my cricket mode, and then uh, yeah. uh, and then I'll be back to football as uh, like we're back training now. But right, right. Yeah, when we come back into the new year, that's when we when things really ramp up, and that's when right. I get really excited is when the season's right at hand. Yeah, because that's yeah, that's and that's one of the things that I've tried to do with this podcast is that you know if there are fans of american football who may not be baseball fans i'm trying i i kind of use this as a uh a clarion call to people to say hey there's this fantastic game that has a few components of what you're accustomed to watching not a lot but a few components that if you don't like if you don't like baseball this might be a great alternative during our summer months mm. and it's here you know in the u.s because it's it's you know, it dovetails nicely if you're an nfl fan the the afl season fits in nicely with it beginning in march and ending you know towards yep. the end of september and now maybe the beginning of october as the case may be yeah yeah and i love the american sports and anywhere you walk within the club uh with all the uh with all the uh, the tv screens that are planted in the different corners of the club there's always there's, there's sport on it at all times of day and night, uh, most of it American sport. Um, I'm, you know, I love the NFL. Big Dallas Cowboys fan. I don't know if that affects the podcast. Are you just going to cut no, me off straight away? I, but America's I, team. But uh, I will. I love the. I, uh, I, I, I actually couldn't have picked the worst season to start following the Cowboys. I don't know why I gravitated towards them, but it was. I, and I, I'm not. I can't remember entirely, but it was a season where we just went one and fifteen. And I, I think it was Jimmy Johnson's first season. I can't remember yeah. offhand, but but it was only I think, because I think he did go one and fifteen his yeah. first year. Yeah, yeah. So that was the year that I just picked, and it was mainly because on Channel Two here in in Australia, we got the highlights on a Sunday night and Monday night, mm-hmm. and um, we really were only shown 
the main teams and the Cowboys, the Giants, the 49ers, yeah. that, that was that was your staple. And right, then right. it would be basically the only other team you'd, you'd, you'd see was the teams that they would play. Mm-hmm. So uh, even in a losing season, I, I just chose the Cowboys. Some some of it was to do with the colours matching North Melbourne. Right, um, right. That's true. That's so, true. Yeah. But I just love their swagger. I love I, the swagger. I love the arrogance of the Cowboys. I love it. And uh, and yeah, so NFL, yeah, that that does get me through the season because I do I do count down the days until football comes back, even though I'm trying to get myself away from it for a little period and right, just right. recharge. Yeah, I do. I, I am a, a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cleveland, no. I mean, I, I love, I, I was at the 30 for 30 and I uh-huh. watched the thing on, on Cleveland. Yeah. And uh, just, I mean, just uh, all the bad I'll luck be, and everything. Uh, and just, yeah, you know, yeah. Yes. but you know what? All power to you because if you can stick with it and, and look, and you know, you've chosen Geelong in the AFL. I mean, for generations, Geelong was known as the handbaggers. You know, they would turn it up, but uh, as soon as things got a little bit tough, you know, they would, they would and, uh, but, you know, their success, everybody would love to model the, the, the Geelong success of recent times mm-hmm. uh, and the Richmond success. And, but really, and, and then the standouts been Hawthorne over, over 50 years, I think they've won a premiership in every, in every decade and they've never right, missed right. out. And, but, uh, but yeah, good on you for sticking in well, there. It's a, it's a, it's a hell of an achievement. Yeah, and, and, and if you're listening to this episode, I, I back in the first episode of the podcast, back in 2019, I, I outlined how I came on to become a Cat supporter. There were, I had narrowed it down to three clubs when I was deciding, and it took me, it took me about a year and a half. And I'm actually going to do a My Most Memorable Game episode about my most memorable game because it's, one, it's the one that made me become a Cat supporter. And... I've told this to a couple of people, but if they haven't heard it already, it, it's, it's a player that you never would have thought of, that you would never think of, that, that pushed me into the cattery, if you will. <laughs> and, it's, it's, you know, he, and he's not with the club anymore. He's still, he's still in the comp, but he's not with the Cats anymore. So, so he's, not, he's not going on the Geelong Mount Rushmore. He's not, he's not going on the Geelong Mount Rushmore. In fact, he doesn't get a lot of games anymore, unfortunately. But I, I'll, I'll tell you off air who it is. But yes, it's... Uh, All right. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to thank uh, Christian Wallace for taking time out of his Saturday morning to sit down with me. Christian, I, I hope you enjoyed this. I sure did. No, I've loved it, man. Loved every minute. This was, this was a great deal of fun. I, 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 I love the statistics aspect of it. I thought was, was extraordinarily interesting. Not that the other parts weren't, but again, I, you know, like I said, I'd watched a couple of videos on how the stats work, and it, and it seems to be you know, one of the more complex games in order in in regards to doing the statistics as the game is going on you know baseball's yeah. baseball's invented all sorts of new stats that can be determined mathematically after the game is done but you recording this stuff as the game is happening is just is just you know absolutely fascinating that you're able to do that and where can people follow you on twitter if they want to do that uh it's uh at wally underscore nmfc and okay. uh, you'll you'll probably get that up there, but yeah, they can get me there. But but that's the thing about statistics; it's uh, it was it's it's rapid, it's constant, and uh, uh, I I I loved it. I love the statistical nature of, of football and all the numbers associated. So it was uh, it was right up my alley when the job came along. I was I was just thrilled to be you know, part of it for as long as I was. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, Christian, man, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. 
this was a heck of a lot of fun with me. And, and I, 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 I did learn a lot from you. I, some, many of the names I, that you would have put on your uh, rather large Mount Rushmore um, <laughs> were, are names that, like I said, I was familiar with. You know, the, the, uh, Mr. Greg I'd heard of when I, I talked to a couple of other folks that, that were involved with the club as well, um, Dennis Pagan as well, and of course, Ron Barassi. But this mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. I truly appreciate you sitting down with me today. No, thank you very much, mate. You there's bet. the game. If anybody wants to check it out, there's the date. Yep. That's the match. There's June the program. 1976. What round was it again? Do you remember? Uh, let me. I think it was round ten, I believe. Okay. Let me go into it. Yeah, because the paper, the paper I didn't, I had here. I don't think it listed that it, what round it was in. No, it does say yeah. round ten. It was round at, ten at Princess mm-hmm. Park, and the attendance twenty five thousand one hundred at that game. Yes, and uh, and the place the place was the place was jumping. These so these uh, suburban grounds, they didn't hold monstrous uh, numbers of people. It was you yeah. know you're twenty five to somewhere between twenty five forty thousand, but um, you could get twenty five thousand into Princess Park, and uh, it was heaving, and uh, and the excitement level it was just uh, it was just fantastic that day. Was, Outstanding, yeah. outstanding man. Thank well, hey, me. thanks so much again. Okay, I truly appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. On. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Cheers. All right, Christian. Thanks so very much, man, for taking time out of your morning to sit down and talk with me. I really, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. We talked about a number of things off air as well. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, you can find everything related to my podcast over at my website, ayankonthefooty.com. I do hope you'll head over there and get on the mailing list so that when new episodes come out, they'll get into your inbox as soon as they are published. Hopefully, you'll also uh, consider, if you want to support the podcast, you can click on the Buy Me a Coffee button there and do that. Or check out my uh, store page up at the top there if you want to get a sticker for the podcast, that sort of thing. Or if you really want to help out, you can leave a review for the show. If you enjoy the podcast and you like the content and what I'm doing, leaving a review is a huge help. Because that allows me to be able to then share your words uh, with prospective listeners. And word of mouth, by the way, if you like it, please tell your friends. Because, again, as I would mentioned to somebody just this evening, I can't go knocking on doors throughout Australia and say, hey, Maybe you'd be uh, kind enough to check out my podcast. It just doesn't work that way for me. So, folks, I do hope you'll uh, get signed up and uh, help out the show that way if you're enjoying what I'm doing. And, folks, please look out for one another. Check up on your friends. Make sure they're okay. If you're in Australia right now, get outside. Absorb that vitamin D. Enjoy the sunshine, unless it's raining where you happen to be. But uh, we are now into the second week of December and we really have not had here in Ohio any discernible snowfall at least in the part of the state where I live we typically have some snowfall by this point in time but we really haven't seen much if any we've seen a few flurries a few flakes here and there but nothing substantial at all but like I said check on your friends make sure they're okay tell them you love them let them know that you're okay as well or if you're not please reach out to somebody folks thanks so very much for the kind words and as always May your dribble kick never hit that post. I will catch you later. This has been episode 215 of A Yank on the Footy. Don't forget that you can reach me at yank underscore on on Twitter or by email at a yank on the footy at gmail.com. 
You can find me also on Facebook. Either look up the podcast, the Yank on the Footy podcast, or search out my name, Craig Wessels. Love to engage with you there if you have a most memorable game or another unique story. I certainly would love to chat with you about that. Always looking for unique and fun guests. And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, please share that with me or share my information with them and ask them to reach out. Again, thanks for listening. I do hope you'll share the episode with your friends and family. And until next time, goodbye.